Good day, everyone, and welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad that you've joined us. The idea of raising the federal minimum wage to $15 has been around for a while now, and it has been a real rallying point for anti-poverty activists, not just here in the city of Detroit, but all around the country. And it has really gained traction since the election of President Joe Biden, who backed the proposal as a candidate and said he wants it as part of the new round of COVID relief. The federal minimum wage is $7.25 an hour. And in Michigan, it's $9.65 an hour, thanks to local raising of the minimum wage. But think for a second about what would happen in your life if that was what you made, if you were the person that you are now with all of the responsibilities that you have now, maybe a house, maybe a family, maybe planning for the future. Making seven twenty-five or nine sixty-five an hour, how would you make ends meet? Opponents of raising the minimum wage say if you hike it to fifteen dollars, you're going to hurt businesses and drive up prices for consumers. Those are arguments we've heard for years and years and years. And if you think about it, over periods of time, over long periods of time, we've seen the minimum wage go up over and over and over again. And even though there is a slight negative reaction each time it happens, over the long term, we actually gain jobs and people get out of poverty because of hikes in the minimum wage. Here in Detroit, anti-poverty activists are being joined by several business owners with vocal support in the idea of raising the minimum wage. They joined demonstrators in a socially distanced rally yesterday in Detroit calling for that new $15 minimum wage. That is where we want to begin the conversation today with two of those Detroit business owners. And I want to welcome them to Detroit Today. Lisa Ludwinski is owner of Sister Pie in West Village. She's also a James Beard nominee for Outstanding Baker. Lisa, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. And Godwin Iantuji is the owner of Yum Village in New Center. Godwin, welcome to Detroit Today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So let's start uh, with both of you talking about your businesses, your restaurants here in the city of Detroit, and how you've approached paying your employees fair wages uh, up to this point. Lisa, I'll start with you. Sure. My perspective and, and journey with this has been growing since we opened the bakery doors back in 2015. And so I've sort of noticed my own um, personal education happen throughout owning the business. And so we started off paying employees around $10 an hour with uh, kind of not knowing how many tips they would get. Because, you know, working at a bakery, it's not quite the same as the sub-minimum wage where people are really relying on tips, but we still would kind of write that into the position description. So say you're making $10 an hour and you're likely to get an extra $2 per hour in tips. Of course, that's dependent on the whim of the customer. And so over the years, I've realized, I think that that's not something that I, I feel particularly good about. Um, but also that there were sort of ways around it. And I, I knew that I eventually wanted to continue to grow and grow and grow the 
the wage that was a starting wage for our employees, but also potentially eliminate the tipping. And so once the pandemic hit and I was sort of tasked with bringing my employees back to work during a really kind of just a, a major crisis for everyone, I knew that it was the time for me to kind of take that risk. I had money from my PPP loan. And so we increased wages a couple of different times and increased prices um, and communicated that with our customers. And so where we're at now is that the average person at Sister Pie is making around 17, 1750 an hour, and we don't do tips. Mm-hmm. Uh, Godwin, how do things work at Yum Village? Oh, well, unfortunately, I was able to work um, when I started Yum Village um, as a pop-up through a restaurant opportunity center run the Honorable uh, Dr. Alicia Ferris and um, learned right up front how important it was to include these um uh, just higher tier wages within our, our bottom line. And so uh, at Young Village, we we um, average about a 15-hour uh, hourly wage in addition to tips. We, we still keep tips there, and um, we do a tip pool uh, based off of the, uh, the hours worked. And uh, we also incorporate um, a few things that we do, tuition reimbursement through online classes taken through UXL, as well as offer... Um, 401k uh, after the first year and uh, paid time off and earned sick leave. Um, but we, we do all of these because you you, you need them to, to keep good talent, number one. And I think if, if you go into an, an office building anywhere, that's standard. And, and those standards should be brought to the restaurant industry. Mm. So, so I, I want each of you to talk just a little about the trade-off here. I hear from business owners all the time about how difficult it is to keep to keep your doors open. And I especially hear from people whose business is food, uh, restaurants, that the, the, the margins are just really thin. And there's always this threat that you'd have to close and that paying somebody as much as $15 an hour just doesn't fit into the business model of of a restaurant. So I, I, I want each of you to talk just a little about how you've been able to make that work differently than what I hear from so many other from so many other people. Obviously, you face the same tensions that other business owners face, that other restaurant owners face. How come you've been able to make this work uh, at, at your establishment, Lisa? I think a lot of it has to do with transparency and sort of not only speaking your mission, but, you know, acting out your mission and and raising the wages is a way that we can very clearly put our money where our mouth is. And I found that customers really appreciate that and are surprised when I say that we don't take tips, but are happy to hear why we aren't taking tips. And I always look to Zingerman's kind of as a guiding light in this because I think about going there and getting a sandwich and, you know, you hear people say, oh, it's a $20 sandwich or whatever it costs. And I always know I'm I'm purchasing so much more than the sandwich there. And I think that's really what there's like a, a, a perspective shift that needs to happen in the country where it's not just about the restaurant owners, but it's about the restaurant consumers, knowing that when you're buying a slice of pie, you're paying for the farmers, 
you know, the person who made the butter, the person who grew or, or tapped the maple syrup from the tree, the employees, it, it's so much more complex than that. And so if we can look at that the same way that we look at why perhaps a lawyer gets paid, however much a lawyer gets paid an hour, then I think that perspective shift can start to happen. Hmm. Uh, Godwin, uh, talk about that tension between trying to make the business successful and trying to do right by your employees. Yeah, I mean, so from since from between 1979 and 2016, there, there have been about 138 um, prominent uh, state level uh, changes. And one thing that's for certain is that um, there has not been an overall change. I think the number of low wage jobs has remained essentially unchanged. Um, and there, there are many studies out here that will say, I think, um, Economist Michael Reich uh, from UC Berkeley, uh, he, he just uh, had a, a study that would pretty much stated that if implemented by 2025, uh, there'd be a positive effect on the federal budget by about $65.4 billion a year. And in addition to this, um, annual government expenditures on like ma- major public assistance programs would fall somewhere between $13.4 billion and Somewhere around thirty, thirty billion. You know, so here at the restaurant, here we're we're doing everything we can to pay a fair wage because we understand that uh, paying a fair wage is not only good for our economy, but it's also good just for our communities. Um, most people say, "Why don't the constituents of cities go out and vote?" and participate in their local and primary elections. Well, perhaps if they didn't have to work three and four jobs and, and work to make ends meet to, to cover child care and things like that, then maybe they'd be able to be more contributing uh, citizens to uh, society. Um, so we, we do everything we can from uh, build out alternative revenue model streams to um, offering um things like that, tuition assistance, as well as uh, setting up partnerships with different organizations like Brilliant Detroit, who we distribute meals through, to also work with them on uh, accessing those child care programs for our, our our members and employees with child and things like that. So there is a little bit more of a, uh, a squeeze from the owner to make this type of stuff work. But at the end of the day, I, I will, uh, from the rooftops, uh, say that this uh, juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. I'm talking with Lisa Ledwinski, who's owner of Sister Pie in West Village, and Godwin Iantuji, who's the owner of Yum Village, a new center about the idea of the $15 minimum wage, uh, an argument that has been around for a long time now, has new momentum because Joe Biden is the president of the United States. He says that's something we ought to consider. It may be part of the COVID relief package that is wending its way through Congress. Uh, We're talking about why local businesses, some local businesses, actually support this idea and have been for years trying to make sure that their employees get fair wages. Uh, we would love to hear from you as well. Do you support the idea of raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour? What would you think that would mean for workers? What does that mean for businesses and consumers? Sometimes there's a tension uh, that exists there. We especially want to hear from you if you're a business owner who has employees. What would that mean for your business? Would you be able to maintain your business 
paying wages quite that high. Uh, We also want to hear from you if you're somebody who currently makes minimum wage. What would increasing that wage to $15 an hour mean for your life? What would it mean for your family? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. Big Neo on Twitter says, there's a large number of, quote, regular folks who are against the $15 per hour minimum wage. They fear prices rising to correspond to the change in the wage. I think subconsciously, they like the idea of other people being less off than they are. Uh, Let's go to Bill in Rochester Hills. Bill, welcome to the show. Good morning, lady and gentlemen. Um, As a small business owner, I employ uh, skilled tradesmen. um, And while it's not uh, um, in front of me every single day, I, I respectfully, I say to you, that I'm committed to every bit um, of changing uh, lives as, as, you're, as you're describing. However, I can't think of anything that is more of a waste of time and energy than for us to argue about what it should cost to pay an employee between the employer and the employee. The minute we get in between these two parties, things start to happen that we do not foresee. And so I submit to you that... I'm willing to take the conversation to a different place. My question to you is, at what point, if $15 an hour isn't compassionate enough, I submit to you, let's make it $50 an hour. Now, you might say, well, that's ridiculous. That's clearly too much. How do you know that? How do I know that? Whose, whose business are we trying to get into to figure out what somebody should be willing to pay another person? Mm. And so the, the other question that I pose to you is, the, the minimum wage is not designed for the single mom with three kids or a, a full family trying to support children. These are jobs in my world, in my skilled trades world, I couldn't afford to pay a 16 or 18-year-old $15 an hour plus overtime to train them because it may take a year or two to spool them out to become a journeyman. Mm. In my case, in, in, I'm in the auto repair business. So... When you do that, you're actually going to constrict the amount of talent that is at my disposal so that I can get this person from minimum wage to making $100,000 a year as a skilled tradesperson. Uh, Bill, I, I really appreciate the call, and I and I love how much detail you're you're able to give about uh, again the trade offs that that exist inside uh, inside your own business. I, I before I have our guests uh, talk about how what you're saying affects them, I, I do want to point out though that um, you, you say that these wages aren't designed for the single mother trying to raise a family, and that's true. The whole idea of the minimum wage. Uh, was was designed around the idea of of younger people entering the job market who would eventually uh, you know go to school or get training and and earn higher wages. The big problem in this country over the last three decades, in particular, uh, is that that progression has not taken place for so many Americans, and so you do have uh, entire families who are dependent on uh, on somebody whose whose wages 
are at the minimum. Uh, this is why you see, for instance, lots of people working two or three different jobs uh, to try to make ends meet because all they can get are are jobs that pay the minimum wage. And you're right, it's not enough. It's nowhere near enough to raise a family. Even $15 an hour is not enough uh, to raise a family. And so uh, the, the trouble is that our economy has changed in such a dramatic way that creates uh, basically a permanent underclass uh, that, that, that is much larger than it ever has been. And then we want to argue that, well, it doesn't make sense to raise the wages for people like that because there is not intended for them. But if it's not intended for them, what is? And the question is how you move them from uh, that to something else. But I, but I want our guests to, to respond as well. Godwin, I'll start with you. What's what's your reaction to what Bill's saying? Well, you know, I'm, I'm glad I, I share share Bill's sentiment in, in some regard. You know, I I do feel like the the issue here isn't the um, the people themselves, but the system that we're in. But you know, let us uh, break the barrel that is keeping us all uh, under uh, duress versus argue amongst each other. Uh, within the barrel, mm. and so um, no matter how you look at it, right, um, the restaurant industry and just industries in general. Uh, I'm I'm cl- closely touched with the restaurant industry. One in three people within their lifetime will work within the restaurant industry. This is a, a verified fact. So, mm. like, you could go down the street, and at some point, one in three people will have worked in a kitchen or bakery or a restaurant of some sort. And so knowing that, it's just important to, as a, a society, put measures in place to protect the people who are eventually going to be uh, within this position. And then, two, these things are aspects that are going on within commerce and society are going to happen anyway. Inflation is going to happen anyway. We've seen inflation rise year and year and year. Yet the rate at which people uh, generate income has remained the same. Eventually, automation, which is going to happen no matter what, you know, as we've seen with the printing press and the typewriter and the ATM machines. Mm -hmm. And so when positions get repurposed due to this industrial revolution that's happening right before our eyes and we're, we, we, we just are just letting it happen. If we don't take these measures and put these things in place, then eventually a lot of us are going to be um, without work, without employment, and looking at each other. And it's not like I'm saying to irresponsibly say, oh, let's make the minimum wage $15 an hour. What I'm saying is let's have these conversations towards what that looks like. There's all sorts of ways to support that. If we are able to raise the minimum wage, and then from that minimum wage, the government expenditures drop then that additional money can be put towards other programs to fund and supplement small business, including things such as guaranteed income. So there's there's many, many ways to go about this. But one thing we can't do is pretend like nothing's happening and let inflation continue to rise and automation hit us and not put any measures in place to protect the people who are working. Yeah. We won't have any workers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lisa, uh, I wonder what your reaction is to what uh, what Bill's talking about here. Yeah, I I can feel your stress and I, I feel it too. As a business owner, I'm constantly juggling all sorts of big questions and trying to make ends meet. And so bringing this to the conversation adds another layer of just unknown and um, anxiety 
but I, I kind of want to echo what Godwin said. I, I think it's about having the conversation, getting it started, and knowing that passing this is about a path to increasing the minimum wage. So it's not like someone's going to show up at your business tomorrow and say, hey, you better start paying, paying your employees $15 an hour. Um, we, we do need support to, to get to that place, whether it's business plan support or financial aid or whatever it is. But I do think it's possible because if we keep the conversations just between employees and business owners, that's where we end up with potential, you know, discrimination, potential underpaid employees. And I just, I think in the restaurant industry specifically, it's so important because when you think about that single mother who's working at a restaurant to support her whole family, she is potentially the subject of serious sexual harassment, serious racial discrimination, while she is trying to get someone to pay her tips so that she even gets close to the minimum wage, which very often she may not. And so I think that's why this conversation is important as a starting point. But I absolutely understand that it's a tough one and brings just another element of uncertainty to running a business. Yeah. yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to continue this conversation with uh, Lisa Ludwinski of Sister Pie and Godwin Iantuji of Yum Village. And we want to continue to hear from you. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Elena in Detroit, Andy in Allen Park. You're up next. You can also go to Facebook or Twitter. Leave comments there. We've got a number of social media comments we'll want to share as well. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. My guests are Lisa Ludwinski. She's the owner of Sister Pie in West Village, and Godwin Iantuji, who is an owner of Yum Village in New Center. Uh, we're talking about the $15 minimum wage. The idea of $15 as uh, the minimum wage in this country is something that uh, we've been talking about a long time. It's got new momentum because Joe Biden uh, is the president of the United States, and he says he supports raising the minimum wage. We would love to hear from you. Uh, are you a business owner here in Southeast Michigan? What would it mean for you to pay your employees $15 an hour? How would you be able to maintain your business if that were what you were paying? Uh, we'd also love to hear from you if you're somebody who works for minimum wage. Let us know how that works out. Uh, what is that like to try to support a family, perhaps, uh, on the current minimum wage? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to uh, the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we will work you into the conversation. Let's go to Elena in Detroit. Elena, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning. Hey. I just wanted to mention there's a very um, direct tie between student loans, student debt, and the low minimum wage mm. or the low wages that this last generation has been earning. And I have taught at Wayne County Community College, at Mary Grove College, at Wayne State, and all of our students that couldn't return because they had too much debt mm -hmm. from their last semester 
had used their loan money to pay for rent, to pay for car repairs, and they wouldn't have had to do that if they made enough money on their two jobs, three jobs. This is a really important part of the debt of this generation. Yeah. The other thing I want to mention is that $15 an hour by 2025 will bring us about to where we are now. And if it's worth a struggle, it's worth a struggle for a good enough wage. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah. Stop fighting for too little. Uh, Elena, that's a really uh, that's a really great point. Both of those points, but the first point, especially about uh, about the the tie between the enormous debt that people take on just to get an education in this country uh, and the low minimum wage, uh, fueling that, uh, fueling the idea that you've gotta that you've gotta borrow so much money. I mean, that's a it's something that doesn't really get discussed uh, in the context of this argument, and of course in Washington. They are talking about whether and how much, I guess, uh, to, to offer in um, in student debt relief as well. These are tied conversations, as you point out. Uh, again, thanks very much for the call. Um, let's go to Andy in Allen Park. Andy, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Uh, I'm a little bit out of breath because I always ride my bike while I listen to you in the morning. Um, <laughs> I had a question for Lisa. She said the average wage is seventeen fifty. So how much does a new employee make coming in the door, brand-new employee? And the second thing I want to say is we're not just lacking in bringing the minimum wage up to the standard. We've lost all kinds of benefits over the last 20 years, mm-hmm. pension benefits, mm-hmm. health care benefits. Um, and it, it has only affected the lower end of the scale, and, and we need to address all of those. Yeah. So that's my question. Uh, Andy, uh, appreciate the the call. Love that uh, you listen while riding your bike. That's a cool. That's a cool way to participate in the show. Uh, Lisa, talk more about uh, wages in your business and where they start and where they end up. Well, currently, the employee who's been with us. Um, well, I, I guess we we originally for for the past couple of years had a, a starting minimum wage of twelve dollars an hour plus. in tips, potentially. So in eliminating that tipping policy, um, the starting wage for a person right now would be around $14,000, So that's kind of the track that we're on. Uh, A lot of the folks who make $17,000, $17,050 have been working uh, with me for the past five or six years. And I guess that's something, too, that I think is, is really important is that I think the more that we've been able to invest in, in employees, not just in their in their wages, but in their health insurance and their paid time off and in allowing them to live a life, not worrying necessarily about whether, you know, getting a stomach ache is going to make them miss a, a bill payment um, that that encourages, uh, you know, people to stay. And, and so most of my employees have been long-term employees. I mean, long-term given the fact that we've been around for about six years, but I've got, I think five, five or seven employees who have worked with me for, for five years or more at this point. And I think that's a testament to the things that we've been able to offer. And that of course helps me run the business better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Again, Andy, really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Let's go to Mark in Redford. Mark, welcome to the show. Stephen, good morning. Hi. Hello, everyone else. Um, I think uh, my comments are that the disparity of wages is going to be ongoing, especially when it comes to negotiating um, higher wages, because at my former employer, we had a union shop, too, 
Um, you know, so when you have good benefits, you have all these perks of paid time off or for vacation and personal days and paid sick time. So I think that's part of the ongoing debate. And I also want to add that I think it's important that um, uh, unions retain their effectiveness so that um, uh, wage scales could go up. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mark, I really appreciate the call uh, and the thoughts. Uh, Lisa and Godwin, I'd love to hear you talk some about, you know, benefits and whether uh, you, you both have mentioned benefit packages and, and the things that you try to do, but, but whether you see those as, I guess, enhancements to good wages or are they trade-offs? In other words, you offer these kinds of benefits because you can't necessarily uh, pay wages. There's a lot of businesses, I think, that get caught uh, in that trap. Godwin, I'll start with you this time. Well, so um, I just want to make sure there's some clarity there. We, As a small business owner, we, we've got to pay for everything that we offer. So mm-hmm. uh, even if we can't offer a higher wage past 15, for example, um, we still have to pay for health care uh, and health insurance mm-hmm. when we offer it to our employees. I think uh, Michigan, uh, state of Michigan doesn't require you to, to put any money towards it for your employees, or in some states they, re- they require a 50% buy-in from the, the employer. Um, but either way, uh, every, every little aspect of, of what we do, we, we pay for. So we, we do tuition reimbursement through UXL. Uh, typically, uh, we know online classes are hard to access, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, we have a shared account with all of our team members that we have access to. Um, we've got uh, every course that we get that stays on there so they can all access it. And then if they want a new course, um, as long as it's related to the restaurant industry, uh, we, we cover it. We also provide um, online training modules through uh, restaurantowner.com as well as a few other uh, programs. And then we do um, investment opportunities. Uh, we have a 20% flat commission on all um, non-food revenue products that team members share, uh, uh, including catering. So if a team member brings in $1,000 catering, we give them a 20% kickback. Um, Because why not? Since Uber Eats and all of those other third parties take 30% anyway, Mm. it only makes sense as an employer to to offer those same types of partnerships with the team members that work with us. Uh, Lisa, I wonder how how you see what uh, what Mark is talking about here. Yeah, I just want to say too, I'm really inspired listening to you, Godwin. I hope we can talk more <laughs> off of this podcast or off of the show. Um, but I, um, in terms of the trade off, I, I think I'm looking at it as as sort of as the business grows. I'm I want this to be a place um, where someone can come for a lifetime job, and I think that's. Um, where we kind of get tripped up a little bit in the restaurant industry is that it is often seen as a, a stopping point for someone as a, a graduate working at the coffee shop and then going off to pursue something else. And that's just not the case. It's, it's, it is the, the lifetime job for, for so many folks in this country. I mean, just thinking of, of Godwin's one in three um, figure. And so I think we're doing what we can right now and trying to talk with the employees and kind of approach what is the, the whole package we can offer you and hoping to improve on that package as years goes on, go on and the business becomes more profitable. Um, and so I think I, I look at them all together as, as a place where you can potentially spend your whole career. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Lisa. I was just going to say, I mean, we're also looking toward potentially becoming some sort of worker owned cooperative. And so that's kind of opening up for me, what I think can, can increase equity, you know, a lot. And, and so as we're having these conversations about minimum wage, we're also asking how can we potentially take it one step further and really look at every member of this business as um, someone who is sharing, you know, the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, uh, the thing I hear from both of you consistently here is the idea that you are leading a team of people. I don't think either of you has used the word employee uh, one time during this conversation. And and I think that has something to do with the way that you approach this and then the way you come up with uh, the things that you are willing to do for uh, the members uh, of your team. I, I think that's a really that's a really important. Uh, no, there's a, an African proverb we say a lot that goes, uh, "You can go fast alone, but farther together." Yeah. You know, I, uh, I think that that rings true here as well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, Lisa Ludwinski and uh, Godwin Iantuji. It was really great to have both of you here for uh, for this conversation. And I want to say before. Both of you go that uh, I am a customer of both <laughs> both of your <laughs> restaurants as well, and a, a very a very happy customer of both of them. And I would encourage people to to check out Sister Pie and Yum Village uh, when you get a chance. But thanks very much for being here for this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It was an honor. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Republicans at the state capitol are holding back billions of dollars in COVID relief for Michigan, a move that's hurting schools and vaccine efforts here. Democratic State Senator Jeff Irwin is going to join the program to talk about that and a bunch of other news out of Lansing. Stay with us for more Detroit Today. 